This podcast is brought to you by YearToSuccess.com, a free online course on success. Enroll at YearToSuccess.com. Welcome to the Toastmasters podcast, the official podcast of Toastmasters International. Hello, everybody. This is Greg Gazin. And I'm Ryan Levesque. Ryan, who is our special guest today? Our guest today is someone we have been anticipating speaking with for quite a while, since the summer. In fact, he's joining us from Singapore. Manoj Wasudewan has been invited to speak to audiences as large as 20,000 and to groups as diverse as those with individuals from 140 countries. Manoj is a world-renowned next-level leadership readiness expert, helping others to get to the next level in their career or profession. In 2017, Toastmasters International crowned Manoj as the world champion of public speaking among a pool of 35,000 aspirants from 142 countries and the world's largest speech contest. Previously, in 2015, Manoj won third place in the same contest. In 2012, he was among the top 25 stand-up comedians at the International Comedy Festival in Hong Kong. He is the CEO of Thought Expressions, an organization that helps clients take their speaking to world-class standards. Manoj holds an MBA from Imperial College London, and his books include the international bestseller, Mastering Leadership, The Mousetrap Way. And of course, Manoj was one of our guests in 2016, appearing on episode 110 with a sneak preview of his International Convention Educational Session in Washington, D.C., Manoj Wasudewan, congratulations and welcome back to the Toastmasters podcast. Oh, thank you. I'm glad to be here. So you are now officially the world champion of public speaking. How does it feel? Oh, yeah. It actually is. A, it, I have a sense of accomplishment, uh, but it also filled up, fills up my calendar, as to, so to speak, because of um, people reaching out to me. I'm happy to help. But the, this is it's a mixed feeling because I really have a sense of accomplishment of uh, chasing after a goal, achieving it, and also becoming a role model of a lot of, lot, lot of people who I, I believe I sparked a desire in them, many people, to dream bigger. Well, your 2017 winning speech is called Pull Less, Bend More. For those who haven't had the pleasure of seeing your speech live in person or watching a video of it. Could you give an overview of what the speech is about? What's what's the theme of the speech? The obvious theme about, of the speech is about relationships, how in relationship there's always stress and the partner, the two partners in the relationship are not perfect. And to work together, they need to uh, be more tolerant, more flexible, uh, understanding the imperfections everyone has. My metaphor for that speech is Cupid's bow. Most people talk about Cupid's arrow. When you fall in a relationship, I say to stay in the relationship, you should act like the Cupid's bow, because when you only when you pull less and bend more, the relationship between the bow and its string is intact. That's an obvious message, but actually there's a deep underlying message, which if you analyze, you can see, because when the speech was delivered at that time, the world was going through a lot of tensions. There was issues of nuclear war between U.S. and North Korea. There was issues in the Middle East, a lot of chaos around the world. And if you look beneath the news, you always, every one has a sense that if we could pull less and bend more, we could resolve all these world issues. So that those are the two uh, messages in that speech at a very high level. 
what was the motivation or the inspiration for, for actually using that? What made you decide to say, this is the visual I'm going to use? This year, I wrote like six speeches for the finals. And uh, when I was evaluating all the different speeches, I thought I'm getting the opportunity to speak to the world. What's the most important message I want to deliver? And it turned out to be pulled as in Ben Moore. The metaphor, if you're asking about the metaphor itself, it came from the story. It's about my conversation with my mother and uh, how she explains it to me. But the context was at that time, this is the one message I want to deliver to the world. Of course, I had I had few other messages as well, but I thought this was the most relevant at that point in time for that audience on that day. You made the bold move of using a very, very similar speech to your speech in 2015 entitled, We Can Fix It. What was your thought in bringing forward that same speech, obviously polished up and, and changed a little bit, but taking that to the stage uh, again in 2017? Oh, there, there are a number of reasons. One thing I, okay, when I started competing years ago, uh, I had the objective of winning the world championship. Eventually I realized the message that matters and I use the contest route as a way to write better speeches. So because you are under, under a, inside a pressure cooker to you know time pressures and uh, all sort of pressures, then you are pushed to do your best. So I always take my speech and write, keep rewriting it to make it better. So if you're asking why it's similar, the speech is actually 35% different from 2015. It's a lot different. Uh, the, so superficial, if you look at a superficial level, it's like the same speech, but a lot of things change. And the fundamental thing that changed, as I said before, wow, I wanted to, that was a message I want to share. And I also want to win with a message that matters the most. And uh, another reason for using that speech, because if you notice this year, the final was not on a Saturday morning. It was on a Friday night. This is the first thing I noticed when I was preparing for the final speech. What I have experienced speaking with the audiences who are tired. So if you imagine a group of 2000 people sitting in a room all the way from morning 8.30 to night 10, and you're speaking at that slot at 10 p.m., you can imagine this audience is tired, sleepy, and probably want to use the restroom, <laughs> right? So I consciously removed humor from the speech. I wanted to have very deep emotional engagement with the audience. So if you watch the speech on YouTube, you have a very different experience from uh, you are sitting in the audience and watching it. I, as I was speaking, Ed Tate, uh, after the next day I uh, met Ed Tate and Darren LaCroix, he, they were uh, having a forum. They asked me to speak in that forum to share my message. And Ed Tate was saying, you know, Manoj, as you um, showed the gesture for the bow, the pull less and bend more, because if you watch the video, you can see the gesture. He said a lot of people in the audience were repeating after you. But I never asked them to do that. Right. I never verbally asked them to do that. But he said he noticed that. So the point is there was a deep emotional and that was by design. I remember just right before my speech, um, Beldraj, the, our current um, Toastmasters International President, and I was a bit stressed about my speech. And Beldraj comes to me and said, Manoj, I want to introduce the contestant. Can you tell me a joke I can include in my script? <laughs> I said, <laughs> I'm like, I, I thought he's coming to congratulate me or wish me. He said, Manoj, tell me a joke. Then I said, oh, this is like the F1 night race. You know, the Formula One has a day race and there's a night race that actually happens in Singapore. I said, say, this is like the Formula One night race. 
And that, that's exactly what it was. It was a different context, different environment, different. And if you notice contestants, they were trying to make people laugh and it was falling flat and it was affecting their confidence. But I, was, I went with an expectation they are not going to laugh at any humor and I should not react to that. Uh, with a, I should not be surprised by that lack of reaction. So someone told me this speech is a work of art. Only masters can notice. The reason is typically we look at a speech and see a humor or humorous reaction. The audience laughing as a cue that the audience is enjoying the speech. So when it goes to YouTube, you have a different experience. So we can fix in 2015. I was focused on getting the message across, getting my tagline across, making people remember my message. So this and but that message was a bit not truly universal. Right now, in 2017, the speech became more truly universal. And it's so, and, the, and it talks about gender, it talks about sex, it talks about politics, it talks about religion without saying it. So right. I do not use this word, but it says everything because people think about it. So my thought was to make them think about a topic without touching on those sensitive things which will disqualify you. So it, a lot of effort went into making that speech uh, from what it was before. So uh, overall, the speech has been rewritten 126 times. And uh, from 2015 to 2017, it's 35% different. And I've wrote, written it about 60 times uh, to make those little things and make, make sure anyone in a relationship, in all sort of relationship, um, no, all, sort of, all sort of combination of relationship possible. I tested it with all of them to look at different perspectives and made it truly emotional, uh, truly universal. So when I was testing it, People are already saying that this is truly resonating. I could see people um, getting emotional about this speech, which is all about that. So that was the key difference that. So if you look line by line, you can see a lot of different. But the superficial level, it looks, yeah, you the same speech. Yeah, but it was not. Right. With the timing, I was wondering about that too, because I was there. I was thinking, wow, the last speaker, I'm sure, <laughs> psychologically is saying, okay, it's late. You know, people are tired, but they still want to hear more. I was just curious. You said you made a number of changes. You had 135 different iterations. When you finally realized that the speech contest was going to be in the evening rather than the day, how difficult was it to make changes at that point? See, you, we always say that before you write a speech, you know your audience, what state they are, and you adapt to that audience. Actually, so I, I realized um, that I need to make continuous changes. And in fact, the speech I delivered on stage was not the speech I had written because as I was speaking, I was noticing that the reaction is lower. I dropped lines. I dropped uh, humor, humorous line and changed lines. It was more like a dynamic delivery. But if you closely watch, of course, I believe I could have worked more on the improved delivery if it was, you no, know, uh, which was a different audience. So I actually was, I dropped lines from my speech. I, decided not to say a joke. I entered a line differently. So as I was on stage, basically reacting to response or the engagement level of the audience. Then I, know, I was watching all of the speakers. Typically, you know, as a contestant, you try to avoid listening to the previous speaker, but I made the point, this is not about me. It's not about, it's about the message. It's about the audience. I have done my best. You know, I'm trying to psych myself up for the, the speech. And I noticed that a lot of speakers are uh, having nice jokes, but it's not working. It's not because they're bad speakers. Uh, it's not because the jokes were not well crafted or well delivered. So I said, and I could sense that speakers were showing by their response, they were unhappy with that reaction. So I was telling in my mind, oh, I need to, um, yeah, this, this is exactly happening what 
as per what my I, I was expecting. So I need to think about this. You know, I need to like go with the flow. Do not expect too much from this audience. Uh, in the sense of you know the humor will work. They're going to cheer. They're going to clap. No, it doesn't happen. So I was actually being being more dynamic in that delivery. Wow, <laughs> I'm thinking back to when I competed in the humorous speech contest, and I remembered that I started to make changes to my speech as we as I got to the district level, and then as I was practicing them, I was struggling, so I was trying to back out. When I got to the stage and I started doing the speech, I got to that fork in the road, and I actually lost my place. So being dynamic under the pressure that you're at, that that's amazing. Yeah, I, I think um, um, so. If you go to my website, right, wcpsclub.com, wcpsclub.com, I put a video there of the three questions you need to answer before you write a speech. You can take a look at that. So I actually explain the different components. So the the content was tight. Uh, so I say that there are four parameters to uh, your speech should uh, ad adhere to. I say there are three questions you need to answer to. So I was sure the content is, I didn't change the structure. I didn't say the content, but I was like playing with the little things I could still move. Mm -hmm. So around seven minutes, there was a line I wanted to say. Then I realized they already sold because they were responding. I could see people nodding to my questions. And then I said, okay, you know, I don't have want to go all the time. Let me drop this section. And then I, I finished around seven plus. I didn't go. I think around seven, I think. I still had time. I think I there's no point going further on this. Because the I've seen uh, audiences which are tired. They have different priorities. The saying is don't preach to the converted. So I I had a sense that they were, they were with me. Because when I'm looking at people, they're leaning forward and nodding uh, in agreement. And so I thought, okay. But it was a tough audience, so to speak. Even when I was not competing, I always went to watch the World Championship whenever I can. So I always try to predict who is going to win. And I was always trying to find out why the third person didn't win or the second person didn't win. And I was always looking at the little differences. And that kind of helped me, actually. Manoj, we focused a lot on the differences between the audience related to the time of day of the speeches. But... Beside that issue, how was the actual experience of competing and being up on the stage different for you in 2017 than in 2015? Uh, the main difference was I had a title to protect, so to speak. I had always world number three. There was always people thinking, why are you competing? Uh, people trying to ask me, why are you competing? And actually, I, after 2015, I was not very serious about competing. I thought I'm not going to compete again because I was a bit disappointed. I came in three in 2015 because I thought my connection was good. No, I'm all, but then I said 2016 is when I went to DC to do the mouse, the speech on my book, the mastering leadership, the mousetrap way. And so I couldn't compete that year. So 2017, I was thinking 2018, the rules are going to change. So why don't I just compete in 2017? There's some slight change in the speech. So I thought, um, uh, then I said, okay, why don't I put one more shot, right? And usually when I decide on doing something, I'll put everything, um, I'll go for a game, it's all in. So I, I took permission from my wife, can I compete? And she said, yes, fine. I said, one last time. Because, you know, because it takes a lot of toll on the family as well. After all, it's only a seven-minute speech, but a lot of effort goes into that speech, a lot of mental um, space goes into that. Uh, so I thought, why don't I uh, take it up? Manoj, you talked about family. I was just wondering, you, you made reference to your mother or your mama as you referred to her in the speech. 
how much influence has she really been on your life and maybe even on the speech? Uh, my mother is a firm believer of compromise, being flexible, and um, she has a lot of influence uh, ever since, uh, um, because my father had a lot of influence in me as well, because he is more of, of a giving nature, helping people. And initially he was my big role model after he passed on. My mother, we, were, we got very close, uh, I became more closer to my mother. So he had a lot of influence. I also learned a lot from her, how she was persuading people to come together, influencing them to solve issues. So she has a lot of influence in that. And um, she uh, uh, still has an influence, as parents do. It's interesting because as you were delivering the speech and you were talking about your mama or what she was saying, I could picture her right there on the stage with you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> a lot of people tell me that. Another special woman in your speech is, of course, your wife, who played a prominent role in your story. How did your wife react to being uh, sort of a center of attention in your speech? And in fact, I'll, I'll mention, Manoj, that as I was doing my research, preparing for this speech, <laughs> I went on Google and was Googling your name. And one of the top suggested searches was, Manoj Wasu Dewan, wife. <laughs> so I guess <laughs> oh, uh, people have been uh, looking to see who the woman is behind the speech. So how did she react to it? Uh, so in 2015, I didn't have much time to prepare for my final speech. So that speech was written in a very short gap of two months. So with that, I made it really well. At that time, I, she was not fully on board with me because we were like negotiating uh, on the lines. What goes in, what doesn't go in. And she was not comfortable me saying something. She was not comfortable. So that actually influenced her speech a bit. For those of you who are listening to the this podcast, what I would tell you is if you speak, eventually you believe in your message. Your message sinks in inside of you. So you start living. So I started looking at our relationship and trying to be and making better because I'm trying to live up to the my what I've been preaching. And it's, it's like you believe your own uh, propaganda. Right? So it's like the repeated thing and so i actually pay, started to pay more attention to our relationship so in, so in our home we uh, continue to say this became a catchphrase as well so pull less bend more pull less bend more so even within kids when the kids are fighting pull less he she's not pulling less he is not pulling more. so the, that became our lingo in our home so i was more living my message by 2017 so it was became part and parcel of what we say at home uh, so she was completely on board uh, in 2017 Earlier, we understood the benefit of this because by 2017, a lot of people who have listened to the We Can Fix It has been the because We Can Fix It speech became viral actually because uh, it was downloaded off YouTube and people started sharing on WhatsApp. So it, I think probably millions watched outside of YouTube. And wherever I go, people would stop me on the street and say, are you the We Can Fix It guy? So the message resonated with a lot of people. So we said, oh, at least we added value to the world by sharing our story, being vulnerable, sharing our story. And together, we also grew up uh, saying that, yeah, we added value. And uh, so she was fully on board with that. And uh, she was very, and it was, and I, I'm a speaker because of my wife, because she, because she gives a lot of support to whatever the family does, whoever in the family wants to do anything. And she has been very kind and supportive. <laughs> and she didn't ask me to tell, tell you that. <laughs> 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 Family support and family buy-in is extremely important. It, it is it's completely important. So the, that's one thing, a major difference in 2017. I made sure everyone is on board. 
because I didn't go saying I competing. I asked permission for my wife. I asked permission for my daughter, my, my son, my daughter. And my daughter was like my chief coach. She was in charge of uh, making sure I'm doing my work and things like that. So they are all, we were like a team. Uh, so it was it was ex- extremely important. In 2015, I don't think it was uh, it was like that. We were still there, but it was more like an individual pursuit. Uh, I am so the, they were helping me still a lot, a tons of help. But it was like I am running for that. I'm asking them for help. This time I formed a team within the family, and that lot helped me a lot. Manoj, as we come to a close. Contest season is coming up for 2018. There's lots of tips you could offer our listeners. What's perhaps one little thing you would suggest people think about as they look forward to the 2018 speech competitions? So uh, I wrote an article saying the seven things you need to know to become the next world champion. It's available at www.wcpsclub.com. It's World Champion Public Speaking Club, wcpsclub.com. So the point I want to say is I say there are certain things you need to understand. First thing you need to understand your why. Why are you competing? The why, if it's not defined, you don't know when to stop, when to start, how far you want to go, how much you want to get in, be invested in this game. There are a lot of other tips on this website. But as a general comment, I would say if you get a chance, you should compete. Uh, I'll tell you one quick tip. My uh, mentor told me once there are only three things you need to know to win a contest. He said, one, enter the contest, two, speak within time, and three, beat all other contestants, which was funny. But if you look deeper, you notice that a lot of people do not do step one. They don't, you know, do, they don't even compete. That makes it easier for the rest of us. And second, a lot of people uh, go over time. And third, uh, people do not have a strategy to win. So I think you need to believe that your best is yet to come. Stay confident, believe Take action and invest in yourself, and you will reap your rewards. Sage advice. Manoj, to close us out, I would like to ask you a two-part question. And part one is, what are you up to now? And part two is, where can folks go to connect with you and learn more about you? So I got got this crazy goal, which I I promise I made to myself. Uh, This was not related to my personal goal is I want to help 20 million people to overcome the fear of public speaking. So for that, I am putting up a free online course, foundational course, and I'm also speaking to a lot of groups to help people to be better speakers and leaders. So these are like the general public who may not actually come out of their home to pursue uh, a need to overcome the fear. That's my one major thing I'm working on. That is available at uh, nervous2fabulous.com. That's where the the course will be up. And I hope people listening to this podcast help me to get it to as many people as it can. And my website is thoughtexpressions.com. That's my website. Of course, you can Google these days. Everything is on internet. Manoj Wasudewan, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. There was a lot of inspirational information if you want to see Manoj's winning speech or his semi-final speech, Three Magic Words, you can catch Manoj and pretty much catch the entire international convention at ToastmastersOnDemand.com. Thanks for joining us, Manoj. Thank you so much, Greg and Ryan. Thanks for having me on this show. It was an honor to have you. Thanks, Manoj. Our pleasure. Okay. Thank you, guys. Thanks for all you do.
Hi, this is Bo Bennett, host of the Toastmasters podcast. Back in 2004, I wrote the book Year to Success, the most complete and practical book on success ever written. Thanks to today's technology, I've turned the book into an online course. Here's the best part. The course is 100% free. Enroll at yeartosuccess.com and work on one personal development idea each day for the next eight months or so. That address is yeartosuccess.com. See you there.